Hey guys, welcome to the Seven Figure Box Show. This is Andrew Frezza, and I'm back with Charlie Lima for a part two episode. If you guys got a chance to listen to part one, that was episode 144, a few episodes back. We had a blast, uh, really enjoyed my conversation with Charlie uh, about all things personal training related. So I have Charlie back on the show. I had a list of follow-up questions that I figured why not just make it a podcast episode so you guys can, uh, can learn from Charlie and what he's doing. So, so many questions that I have that I, I don't think we touched on in detail from the last episode. Um, I wanted to go into a little bit of the sales and intake process. And I wanted to talk a little bit about like, how do you see it as different from individual to group, if at all? Is there anything yeah. that you do in that intake process if you know someone's a personal training client versus you're still unsure? Well, first off, man, thanks for having me back. Uh, that was a lot of fun. I can't believe, I mean, we recorded forever <laughs> and to think there's still more, I'm sure we could keep going. Um, so on the intake process, I would, I would answer that question. No, I think, you know, we're, we're helping people who are trying to get fit and one path for them is personal training and another path for them is group. So intake for us it's going to look the same for people wherever they end up um i like having people start through a six-week challenge okay um, that typically we have three of those uh three versions of that so they can do what we'll call the group version they can do a hybrid of group and private training or they can do a private training you know more so exclusive six-week challenge um, mm -hmm. and, and then there are people who are just looking for a trainer and they, they kind of say that right at the bat, you know? Um, so it's not necessarily going to look different. I think most importantly, the intake process is asking a lot of questions, listening. I mean, things that, you know, right. Think, mm -hmm. we're, we're doing the same stuff you're doing. Um, and that most people probably who are listening to the episode right now. Um, so intake, it looks the same. The, okay. the only, we'll say one thing, if they, you know, if they're itching to do CrossFit. I might just, um, I might, I might pick up on that. Maybe they've done it before, you know, then I might just let them try a class, you know, but it's always better to have a conversation with them before or after scheduled, you know, 15, 20 minutes at, at, at least. And what makes it a six week challenge versus just, Hey, you're starting as a personal training client. Like what's built into that. Yeah. The six week challenge for us is heavily focused on nutrition. So it's really going to get that client a win early on. Um, most clients, most new people are going to want to lose weight. So if we can show them, you know, 5% on an in body and 10 to 15 pounds on the scale in six weeks, then, you know, we really have proven ourselves to them and we've proven to them that eating healthy matters. So the difference of somebody just starting as a CrossFit member or a private training client um, the six week challenge includes a lot of focus on nutrition, which is what a lot of people need. Not everybody's going to come through that path, but most people will. Okay. So that's kind of your way of, of lumping that into their first yes. six weeks. Okay. And I've, I've learned too, in, in personal training, you know, it's so different to have them start on a six week challenge for us than to have them just start as a private training client. Because when they start just as a private training client, we start that conversation on nutrition, but it's really never ending and it's forever ongoing. 
the six week challenge kind of gives us this little bit of an excuse to press for goals, to pry a little bit further, to, you know, try to get them, you know, early wins. Um, whereas if you buy, let's just say a month of personal training and you got to know your client too, um, they might, that client might not get the nutrition focus that you're going to get if you do a six week challenge. Okay. What does that nutrition focus look like? Is that like uh, more of a paleo real, real food approach? Is it a macros? Is it a habits based? What does that yeah. look like? Or is it all of the above? No, it's very simple. You know, it's telling them they're going to eat three meals a day. They're going to come from single ingredient foods. We give them a list, uh, two protein shakes, mid morning, mid afternoon. Um, we're not introducing my fitness pal or macros or any of that. Um, but really where the magic happens is when we text them every day and hold them accountable. Um, you know, that, that's, that's what they're paying for. And I even tell them that I say, you know what you should eat and what you shouldn't eat, but who's holding you accountable. And if you're holding yourself accountable, nobody's holding you accountable. Mm -hmm. Now the text every day, is that something that you, you guys do? Is that part automated? How does that no, work? It's, it's tech. It goes back to the last podcast. It's like just part of the service, right? So if you have a six week challenge client, you know, that's a big part of the accountability that you, that you as the coach have to hold them accountable for, you know, how, how do you make sure that that happens? Both, both you, like, how do you make sure if you were running a six week challenge that you follow through and text, do you have it in your calendar? Do you set a reminder? And then how do you make sure your coaches follow through? Yeah, it's no different than how do you make sure you program effective workouts for your PT clients or no different than uh, for me personally as the coach, right? We have somebody who is a technical, like an operations manager, right? Director of operations of the gym who has a weekly meeting with every single one of our coaches. And one of those specific check-ins is how are you managing your nutrition clients? How are they doing? Have you been texting them every day? So there's somebody that is holding them accountable. Okay. With the in-body, since you mentioned that, is that something that everybody gets initially, regardless of who they are? Like when they start, everybody gets an in-body or how do you build that in? No, we, we really provide the value in it. So it's $45 per in-body scan if you were to do it a la carte. Um, but in your six-week challenge, you're going to get four in-body scans, right? You're going to get the first one. Then you're going to get one every two weeks. So you get one initially at 14 days, at 28 days, and at 42 days. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of picture that as a $180 value. Um, we also do that at our goal review sessions. So with our regular members, uh, everybody gets a goal review session every 90 days, and they get a complimentary in-body scan. Um, but if somebody off, you know, just randomly wants to get an in-body, it's $45. Okay. And then with our private training clients, it's really at the trainer's discretion. So, you know, January is a great time to get your clients on the in body. Um, and really, I don't micromanage my trainers. So like if they don't put their clients on the in body, I just trust their judgment. Right. That means they're, you know, they're they know their clients better than me. Right. So um, for me to say, hey, your PT clients have to get an in body every 90 days. I don't necessarily know if that's what is best for their clients. Yeah. Why do you go so often in the six week challenge? Why do you do eight and six weeks versus like one, one at the beginning, one in the end, or one at the oh, beginning, man. middle you know, and end? Yeah. You mean uh, not at eight weeks, you mean at 14 days, 28 days and 42 days? 
Yeah, exactly. Dude, Why do you? They got we. So <laughs> it's a great question. Um, you know, I'm I, I'm a I'm a huge nutrition um, fan. In other words, I know firsthand personally that nutrition makes a huge difference. Um, yeah. From from 2003 to 2005, I put every single thing that I ate into a software that was not on a phone because those apps didn't exist. It was in a, on a disc called life forms and every single food that went in my body, I tracked and I learned that what we eat actually matters. I did a 12 week. Uh, it was called body for life transformation back in 2002, three, I went from 16.9% body fat at 206 to 4% body fat at 202 in a 12 week period because I tracked my food, because I paid attention to what I was eating. So with, for me, I recognize how important nutrition is. Well, when they do a two week check-in, I need to either know if they're doing the right thing or the wrong thing. Mm. And I can't do that based on the scale. I can only do that based on the data, right? So if their body fat percentage is not changing, in the direction that I need it to change, we need a course correct, right? We need to make sure. So for me, instead of doing a body scan at day zero, day 42, that's too much time. Um, it's way in for our, for our platinum six week challenge, they do it every week. Wow. So I used to get, uh, when I did my 12 week body transformation, I, uh, I had the guy that I worked for at the time, he would pinch me with calipers every week. Yeah. Um, and the clients that one of the clients that I saw great results with, we did weekly measurements. So the in body does the talking for me, right? It, it explains to the client whether they're on track or off track. Yeah. Gotcha. So it's a way, it's a way to be able to intervene quicker to make yeah. adjustments. Oh yeah. More rapidly. Get, you know, I, I often tell them, man, that two week check-in is uh, gold because that's where we can either you know, high five you and say, keep doing what you're doing or course correct you if we need to. Nice. But the, the in body is, you know, the best way to do that. So you brought up the goal review sessions and I get this question a lot. So I wanted to ask about that for your, for your group class members. Um, how many people, what percentage of people take you up on that? And what, what advice do you have on those goal review sessions? Yeah. Very high percentage. Um, they're not really optional and it's not forced upon them. <laughs> so, um, we, we paint it as value, right? I mean, who doesn't want to come in and get a free in body and meet with a coach and, mm -hmm. you know, talk about, you know, the, the focus for the next 90 days or check in and see how they're doing. So the best advice I can give you is make it convenient for the client. You know, the reason people may not want to do it is because you're just one more thing on their to-do list and they've already, they've only got so many hours in a day. So, you know, do it 15 or 20 minutes before their class workout, even if it's at five o'clock or six o'clock in the morning, um, explain to them that you want to help them. Uh, and that's the reason you're scheduling it to identify, you know, are they happy? Are they getting results? Is there anywhere they feel stuck? I mean, it's a total value add to the member, you know? So if you're getting a low percentage, it's because you are not prioritizing it and probably not selling it very well. Cool. Um, let's talk about 
the team side of things, you mentioned that you don't micromanage your trainers. How do you think about holding them accountable, developing them versus micromanaging them? Great question. Um, so I don't like to be micromanaged, um, but I recognize how important it is to be held accountable. Um, so what I mean, when I say I don't micromanage, I'm not writing their workouts for them, right? I'm not looking over their shoulder at their schedule. Um, you know, if, if they're not there one morning when they usually are there, I'm not really even asking them why they're not there. That's what I mean by micromanage. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I am holding them accountable. If they're, you know, if they walk in late to train a client, you know, I'm going to say something and be like, Hey, you're supposed to be here 10, 15 minutes early. What happened? You know, something, did, did something happen that, you know, I, you need to tell me about or, and then, you know, I think it's also hiring. Have you read Patrick Lencioni, uh, the ideal team player? Oh yeah. It's good yeah when, you, when you hire the right people that are humble, hungry, and smart, you can, you can address issues, meaning holding people accountable and they're not going to take it the wrong way. Yeah. You know, it's, it's typically when you, when you hire people and they're immature or insecure and then they get offended when you call them out. Right. And, and I'm not a jerk about it. Um, so, you know, to me, personal training development is develop your people skills, <laughs> yeah. you know, like I, I often tell people the obvious thing you need to know how to do is train people. You need to know how, how to program for clients. You need to know exercise science. You need to know um, anatomy. You need to know, you know, but who am I to come in and tell you how to do that stuff when hopefully you are, you know, your client better than I do. You know, but the thing that I'm going to make sure you're doing is customer service, right? Because that's why people don't keep coming, right? That's the reason people would leave is because you're not treating them right. Um, but as far as development, you don't really, these days, if you hire the right trainers, they develop themselves. They're watching videos all the time. They're reading books. They're going to seminars. Like if this is your jam, kind of like I talked about on the last podcast. Yeah my job to develop you is minimal because you are constantly developing yourself. Right. And you know, if you've got a good culture in your gym, um, then they're learning from other trainers. You know, I'm constantly learning from other, from my coaches. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask is how much of that development is the fact that you yourself are such a good example of what a successful personal trainer could and should look like. And then I'm sure, you know, you have a couple others on your staff that are starting to become that as well. So then the next trainer just becomes in this environment. How much of that development is just inherent in your culture because of you as a leader? I'm going to say really high, like 90%, probably, you know, the people who come in are going to grow to the level of the, the peers. So your culture really dictates, you know, what, what these people are going to come into yeah. or growing to better set. Now, when you have a trainer, let's say you just hire a trainer and you know that the, the culture is going to do the majority of it, do you still have a process, an onboarding process where they get to shadow a certain amount? They get to um, absolutely sit in on you, know, you programming for a client before they get to program for a client. What does that look like? 
Yeah, so we got it right now. We have a new trainer. She started uh, a week and a half ago, and she's got a 90-day internship, um, 30 hours a week. You know, so she's doing all those things that you just mentioned. Um, she's getting onboarded to become a full-time coach. And so uh, the reason hers is longer in terms of 90 days is because she's coming with no experience. She was a, she's got experience coaching, just not CrossFit or personal training. She was a head cheer coach for a major university. So she has strong presence, uh, former gymnast, but she's never coached CrossFit. She got her level one in December. Um, so we're just focused a lot on developing her. And yeah, there's a night. I mean, like I said, there's 90 days, 30 hours a week. She's doing cleaning facility work, shadowing, uh, classes. You know, she was last week, she was leading warmups for some of the uh, classes she was in and getting immediate feedback, right? She's not doing it on her own. So right now is the, you know, really heavily, uh, focused effort on development. For someone like her, how much of that is built around training her for group classes versus training her for PT specifically where you're, you're, you know, one-on-one -on -one sessions programming for PT sessions. And does that depend on the person? No, she, well, it, I think it kind of depends on the person, but she's going to do it all. And so we started with classes, um, just because we felt like that was going to be probably the area classes and on ramps was going to be where she was going to be able to make uh, the more immediate impact. And then the, uh, next area was personal training and then now it's nutrition, but it's all coming in quickly. So it's not necessarily like we do one for a month and then month two, we do another and we do month and month three for another. No, it's all happening. And you know, she's going to get exposed to all of it in the first 30 days. And then we're just going to continue to fine tune it. And then she's going to take on some clients and probably take on some classes in that process as well. Do you oversee that hundred percent or do you have someone on your staff? That's like a head coach that helps develop her. Yeah, I don't oversee it. Uh, I have a guy who's the operate director of operations who, who's the one 100% developing her. And then I get to see it, you know, and, um, chime in and, you know, add my two cents. Obviously I was really heavily involved in the hiring process. Uh, so, you know, once that leaves that point, now he's taking over her development. And I trust him way better than I trust myself, you know, because he's going to see it all the way through. For kind of that hierarchy side on the PT side of things where you have maybe a head coach that oversees things. And um, I guess, is there any, is there any levels to it? And as it relates to pay structure where, okay, when you're a new trainer, you earn this as you get further in um, and, and thinking more on the personal training side versus the group classes yeah, I have another guy who's actually my lead PT. So he's over all the private training. Um, he's, you know, I, I would definitely say he is the uh, heavy hitter over there. He knows it inside and out. I think he's the one that resembles me the most from me. You know, I've been a personal trainer now 18 years and he's been a personal trainer I think eight or nine years. And he, I, I think he's me 10 years ago, right? He's got a very strong clientele. He can bill out a, a good rate hourly. He knows how to sell. He knows how to rebuild. He knows how to do, you know, everything that I would want a trainer to know, he knows how to do. So he actually is leading the PTs. Now here's the thing about compensation. 
as the gym owner, if you're a gym owner and you're listening, you have to realize that the number one goal for your business is to be profitable because if you're not profitable, then there's not a job for these trainers <laughs> and it's eventually, you know, not going to survive. So you have to run your business based on percentages that make you profitable and it needs to be based on a profit margin that makes you the money you need to make. And that's going to determine how to pay your trainers, you know? So what is that number? I don't know. Right. So if you're, you know, if you're running a business, let's just make math really easy and you bring in $10,000 a month and you're, you know, 90% of that is coming from group classes. So you've got $9,000 a month and your overhead is $5,000 a month, well, 50% of your revenue is going towards overhead. And then you've got $1,000 a month coming in of private training. Well, let's just say on the $9,000 revenue of classes, you're paying out $3,000 a month. So now you've got $5,000 a month overhead, $3,000 a month of you know, expenses on payroll for your group classes. So you have $2,000. So basically $2,000 that you get to put in your pocket. You don't have much to give that personal trainer. You know, you, you just got to face reality. And so, you know, you have to run your business based on percentages, not just on what other people are doing or what you think. And that's a real common mistake in private training. Um, you know, you have to know how to make a profitable business profitable and then determine what. So, you know, I, I probably field some better questions from you now, having said that, than just blanket saying this is how you should pay your hierarchy. You know, number one, be profitable. Number two, right, compensations are going to piggyback off of that. And if you can't run a profitable gym, close your gym and go work for someone. <laughs> You know? Yeah, yeah. I think there's so many situations where um, you have gym owners that are looking to get to that next step, which is like having a profitable gym. And they're, they're trying to build this other revenue source like personal training. And it's, it's kind of like what comes first, like the chicken or the egg of like, well, I want to give my trainers, I want to pay them enough where they're incentivized to build a book of business. But if I, if I pay them too much, there's not enough for the gym, but if I don't pay them enough, yes, the gym's profitable on each session, but there's not enough sessions to go around to actually make a, a difference on the bottom line at the end of a month, a year. So do you, I guess, are you saying that whatever they go with, there should be some kind of way that they structure it where starting out, they maybe pay less per session, but over time they pay more. No, here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that the gym owner needs to realize what their numbers are first and foremost, and what it costs them to make the money they make. Because to think that if we started doing, let's just say we're that $9,000 gym that costs us $8,000 a month to operate. And then we do a thousand dollars of personal training. So now we're like, oh, that $1,000 is straight profit. No, that $1,000, every dollar costs you 80 cents, right? Because now you're doing 10,000 
costs you 8,000 to operate, costs you 80 cents per dollar. And then what are you going to do? You're going to go and pay a trainer 50%. Well, that dollar that you made on private training, you just paid a dollar 30 for it. So if you don't know how to make your business, and I'm using numbers that probably aren't accurate. Who knows? Maybe there's somebody listening that has that type of uh, overhead and expenses. But the main thing is you need to know how much it costs you to make every dollar that comes in your gym and then create a private training, uh, we'll call it leg, that works into that. Because it's not just something extra. It is part of your business. It's not like a workshop. You know, people think like, oh, I'm doing this workshop on a Saturday. It's going to bring in 250 bucks. It's all profit. No, it just made your overhead either less or more depending on how much you paid out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I love that you bring that up because we're, people often think of fixed costs as like, they almost zero it out. They say, okay, well, once that fixed cost is there, it doesn't matter anymore. Everything else above that is essentially like a bonus. But I think what people don't realize is that we are in a business that has a physical limitation to it. So with every increased dollar of revenue, there, there might not be the corresponding amount of fixed cost increase, but there is an increase in fixed costs. And you might not be able to calculate it. Right now, you might have extra space in your facility and you say, okay, well, if I put a personal trainer in the corner, where is that additional cost coming from? But once you need, once you have four personal trainers that are trying to fit in the corner, there's going to be an additional cost, whether that be equipment, maintenance, uh, a manager, there's going to be something that comes with it. And we can't, we can't just assume that because it's a fixed cost today that it won't be variable in the future and it won't increase in the future. Right. And now that I think we've answered that question, I think the better way to go into answering the initial question is to say, okay, what the gym owner needs to do is to open up the books with their employees and their coaches in order for the, everyone to see what's going on, which is the thing that most people don't want to do. And I didn't want to do it forever. And I realized when I started doing that, well, now they understand. And if they don't know, well, first of all, if you don't know your numbers, if you're listening to this and you don't even know your numbers, the trainer is going to eat you alive and they're going to, not, they're going to wonder why in the heck you're not paying them whatever percent they think they deserve. So you don't have a good response. You don't have a something that is going to be um, thick enough in meaning for them to actually diffuse their, their stance. Well, if you do know your numbers, then you're, and you're not showing them every month or you're not showing them, you know, like the cool thing about showing them your numbers is they see like, oh, you're not just shoveling, you know, $80 on every $100 that come in. You're, you know, those workshops are not just profit. Oh, the, you know, the private training's not just all extra money. Like, you know, they start seeing the story and the narrative and, and they realize that, man, okay, this guy is actually just trying to run a business. The reason the owner deserves to make the profit is because the owner's taking the risk. The trainer's not taking the risk. The coach is not taking the risk. The owner's taking the risk. So if the business makes money, 
the owner gets paid. If the business loses money, they pay the trainers anyway. That's part of taking the risk. And when they start seeing that, you know, and, and you know, what better year than to open up your financials during a pandemic <laughs> so that people can understand that, hey, oh, it is not always, you know what I mean? And, and ultimately, you're going to build more trust when you start doing that. And really, you can say, but you got to have a reason. Nobody likes to get told, oh, you know, even your, your kids, you know, I find myself saying this sometimes. They're like, no, why'd you say no? Well, just because I said so. Nobody likes that answer. So if you tell your trainers, this is the percent, just because I think this is the percent you should make, that's not a good answer. No, this is the percent that the business can afford to pay you. If you don't like that, go work at another gym that can afford to pay you more, but this is what we can afford to pay you. <laughs> yeah. We actually faced a similar situation. We just had to do a price raise at our, at our gym for our group class memberships that just went into effect on March 1st. And I would say this is the first time that we really broke down the numbers from the standpoint of like, what can we afford to pay based on what we're trying to create or what can we afford to charge based on what we're trying to create. And you know, we went in, I had a lot of conversations with members about the pricing, um, some that were not, you know, less than happy about that. And I was able to very much back what we were doing because I knew the reason behind it. I knew, I knew the numbers well, and it wasn't just a matter of like a judgment of what they felt like our service was, was worth or what they felt like they wanted to pay versus what we felt like they should pay. It's, That's it's right. much more about what the business can afford to charge. And, you know, from the most, for the most part, we're charging as little as we can to be able to do the things that we want to do to make this place great. I mean, we have high yeah. aspirations for what we're trying to create. We want to be one of the best gyms, you know, in the country, in the world. So we don't want to just be an average gym that's just running classes, but, um, but yeah, there's a, there's a value to that that has to be there. Agreed. No, and I think once you open up and you're in you, it, it almost frees you as the owner from carrying the burden, right, of, of that. Um, it just allows people to see uh, the reality of what's going on. A lot of it, I compare that to like, you know, my wife and I have been married 12 years. And really, for the better part of, you know, the first couple of years, I carried the burden of paying the bills, managing our, our income and, and all of those things. And we took a course called financial peace university put on by Dave Ramsey. And it was the best thing we ever did. Cause it got us on a budget. It got us talking about it. It allowed us to kind of share in that burden together mm. and it got her to see things right. That she didn't see before. And she was more mindful of the money that we spent more understanding of the things we had to say no to you know, and now we, ever since then, we do a, a budget meeting, you know, we, we, we make it a, an effort to do a budget meeting at least every year, but then we revisit it at least every three to six months, depending on as you know, but at th that time we had no kids. Now we have four, um, things look a lot different today, but you know, nonetheless, we still have that practice. So it's no different. It's like having a budget meeting with your staff, right? So it's like, if you got this trainer, you, you know, not to say they're your spouse, but they think they deserve more money. It's kind of like your spouse thinking she can spend more money and re reality, you don't have that money to spend. So you just need to help that trainer understand that, Hey, the business can't afford that rate. Yeah. It's not that I'm just telling, you no. it's no, do you like working here? 
Do you want to be here? Well, let me show you what the business can afford. I'm not going to pay you. Uh, I'm not going to underpay you, but I have to make, I have to pay you in a way that makes sense for this business. Yeah. That's awesome. I love it. Um, I wanted to circle back on something that you spent a good amount of time talking about. And in the first episode was talking about, you know, how trainers should kind of charge, how they should, they should book 40, 50 hours of clients a week and really work their ass off, uh, especially starting out to build their skills and that you just think a lot of trainers essentially aren't willing to work hard enough or they don't, maybe they don't love it enough to, to work hard enough. And they're maybe in a career that they don't love. And that's the reason why they're not enjoying it. And they feel like 20, 20 personal training hours in a week is a lot. Um, but I wanted to ask you, since you do have a staff of different types of individuals, do you find that certain personal trainers, certain people on your staff or people you've seen at other gyms and work with will kind of hit a limit at various times? So I, I think that people that are more introverted, I could see where they might love it. They might absolutely love doing, call it 25, 30 hours in a week of PT and group classes but they just almost like hit a wall where it's like, okay, I've given so much of myself. And if I don't fill my cup up a little bit, then I have nothing left to give to the next person where someone who's extroverted, every additional client they work with, it's like more fuel into the fire. So do you see any nuances or differences with those types? Yes. I think one thing that is important is identify your capacity. Everybody has a capacity. So, you know, just because you, don't have, you know, take, uh, take sports, for example. I mean, there's obviously some, some people like Michael Jordan who have an incredibly large capacity, but it would be unfair to say that everybody would have to have his capacity to play on his team. Right. Because we have to recognize that not everybody has him, his capacity. So number one, identify your capacity. You know, if you're an introvert, identify about how much, how many hours of, extrovert can you handle in a row before you need to pull back and take a break or before you need to switch to something else so um the second thing and, and this is something i learned from the person that i worked for for three years early on and i'm so glad he taught me this um and it was really more leading by example he just kind of said i don't train on weekends you know he just trained during the week and that has been huge for me um, that we basically still to this day, there's not a lot of activity on, we have CrossFit, which is not the same as personal training, but you know, we don't have Saturday other than CrossFit class every now and then you'll get a trainer here and there that books a client, but I don't train on the weekends and I really never have. And I really believe that long-term that's, a, that, that's huge because you take Saturday and Sunday. And I remember him telling me this, my, the guy I worked for, he was like, you know, we work hard during the week and we rest on the weekend. And dude, that's been huge for me. Like I just need that two days off and I'm coming back lit up, ready to go. So I can, you know, I can do a, a, you know, or I used to do these a lot. Now I don't, but I can do a 12 or 13 hour day, five days in a row. You know, if I have two days off, um, so knowing your capacity is huge. And then I'll, I'll add to that. Occasionally you might need a three-day weekend, right? So it's like, you might need to have a three-day weekend once a month where you just 
don't book anybody on a Friday and have a three-day weekend. doesn't mean you have to go anywhere. It just means it's pulling back, right? Or every quarter, you might need to have a five-day weekend. Or, you know, it's, it's, you, you have to know yourself. It's programming, right? Workouts, fitness. Mm-hmm. You know, you might need to taper. You know, you might need a recovery. Um, a lot of times, I think those are built in for us as trainers in Christmas and New Year's, right? Thanksgiving, spring break, um, summer, like those are seasons that your clients naturally are going to pull back and that's going to give you a bit of relief. So, um, if, if you are somebody who is struggling with what I call burnout, or maybe you're not quite able to do those long days, you know, um, the first thing I would say is just, do you take weekends off? And by weekends off, I mean, like, don't go to the gym, right? Like just kind of just do things that you enjoy. If you want to get a workout, I work out every day. I don't work out. I mean, I work out every single day and I come up to the Saturday class on Saturdays cause I enjoy it. Um, but it's definitely Saturdays are time with my family. Um, Sundays, same, you know, so, so it's a matter of recharging that battery and, and what does that mean for you? And, you know, typically being on. So what I, what I would think that your burnout is, if you're, if you're the person that you're describing is you're on too much, you know, like there's a completely different feel for me coming to a Saturday class than for me coming to train three clients back to back, Mm. you know, or coaching a class like that. To me, I describe that as you have, you're, you're on like, you know what I mean? Like you're just, you're just on. And, and maybe you're on too much, you know, maybe you need to be, and I do believe there's a capacity, right? So some people can be on eight to nine hours a day, where some people maybe can only be on five hours a day. Yeah. And I do believe that that has like, you need to be, you know, kind of asking yourself if you're on is less than five hours a day, or you start getting burnt out, then maybe you'd need a different job because, this is a job that would require that of you more than five or six hours, you know, minimum. Cool. So when you, uh, I think what I heard is like one of the scales that we, we talk about, and I heard this from an active life podcast a while back is like, like rating your, what you bring to a class as like a one to 10. So like we talk about basically we love coaches that are going to be a seven or eight every single time and never less than that versus a coach that is going to be a nine or a 10 when they're at their best, but you could find them on some days where they've something's happened in a relationship. They had a bad day, you know, at home. And then there are three and they're an asshole. They're a jerk to people. Um, is that kind of what you're saying? Maybe not to that degree, but like there's some people that try to be that 10 all the time and are burning themselves out where they could be sitting at more of an eight and kind of being more in a, a, it's still a great experience, but it's not like they're having to perfect everything at every moment. I think you need to give a 10 every time you're on. (laughs) Okay. That's, that's, that's my expectation, right? So if you're, if you're giving me less than you have, uh, then I'd rather not have you. (laughs) I'd rather go let you take a week off recharge. Um, if you're doing that repeatedly, I'd probably not like you on my team. The best way that I can describe it, I read a book this weekend. It was referred to me by a friend 
this this is it. I don't know if you have you heard of this book. Uh, I've heard of Naval Ravikant. I I am a big fan of his. I've heard him on a couple podcasts with Tim Ferriss and others, and he's okay. awesome. So this is the almanac of Naval Ravikant. It's not written by him, but it's uh, written by another guy, and it's just a lot of the things that this guy. I've never. I, this was not my idea to read it. A good friend of mine recommended it. I'm reading from page 80, and this is exactly what I believe is the reason you can crush your competition if this is you know, going back to our last podcast. Remember how I emphasized mm-hmm. passion, purpose, you know, all those things. He says, I'm always working. It looks like work to others, but it feels like play to me. And that's how I know no one can compete with me on it because I'm just playing for 16 hours a day. If others want to compete with me, they're going to work and they're going to lose because they're not going to do it for 16 hours a day, seven days a week. So that's how I feel. Right. So I'm not saying, you know, whatever that says to the person listening, if it feels like work, you're probably going to get burnt out because to this day, it doesn't feel like work to me. You know what I mean? And so um, it feels like play, you know, and I think I said this on our last podcast, but it's like I. I'm kind of like, it's just crazy. We can make a living doing this. Yeah. <laughs> and so going back to capacity, going back to, it doesn't mean that I don't need weekends off and it doesn't mean that I don't need to recharge. I'm just saying that to really ask the person who's listening to this, like, is what, is this what you're supposed to be doing? You know, and, and I'm not trying to talk people out of doing it, but I, yeah. it goes back to your initial question, right? Of like, Oh, I don't want to work 40 to 50 hours a week. I want to work 15 to 20. Yeah. You know? How many, how many personal training hours do you still do personally in an average week? About 10. 10. Mm-hmm. And I'm in a different, I'm in a completely different. So like, and you know, that's important to put in context, right? This is, I'm a, I'm the CEO visionary. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm at a different seat than I was 15 years ago. And not to say that makes me better. It's just, there's certain things that only I can do for the business right now, you know, and, and in order to continue to execute the mission and the vision, I need to be doing things that are things that only I can do. And not to say that in a arrogant or better than I, you know, I, if I was training 40 hours a week, somebody wouldn't be doing what I need to be doing. How do you deliver, how do you make sure that the value is delivered in a personal training experience? And like, I think things like the in-body is a great value add to things. It's, it's very tangible, right? It's something that you can say has a $45 value to it. And then um, you're able to, to build it in. And obviously the metrics it provides becomes value, be valuable for making adjustments and course correcting but are there things that you can think of? It could be big things, small things, but like different equipment you use, or uh, I don't know if you use any type of questionnaires in there or check-ins uh, that would add value. That's like, okay, this is different than what I've done before. You're like, let's say someone is, has been working with personal trainers at other gyms previously, and they come to you. Like, how do you know that you're going to be better than what they've had in the past? Yeah. I mean, the, the number one value you can give them is caring about them. And you know, the other stuff is just fluff. So it's kind of like my wife, right? You're married. 
anybody who's listening to this is married, it'd be like thinking that flowers every Friday, date night once a month, um, a gift on her birthday, Valentine's Day and anniversary, like those are the secrets to great marriage. And you can do all those things systematically and suck at marriage. And so <laughs> the number one thing with a personal training client is care about them, like really care about them. And yeah, the other stuff isn't bad, like the in-body, you know, the special stuff, you know, but at the end of the day, like, that's what I believe. I don't think anybody's going to care about my clients better than me because I know how much I care. And, you know, like I told you on the last podcast, it's not just because they're my client, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and I, I adopt that mentality from the day we get started. Okay. So maybe this next question that I had, I love that answer, by the way. Um, this next question I had is along the same lines. How do you think about showing that you care via like, how do you make your coaches more professional? And like, do you have uniforms? Do you have them set up the stuff beforehand? Like, how do you make sure that they are showing that value? Because I can see where something like, um, something like an in-body, depending on how you use it could feel very valuable. Like the, like giving flowers to your wife, it could feel very valuable and it could feel very intentional. And then it could feel like systematic and cold and just a, uh, replacement for actually caring. So what are the things that, that actually are best served to add that professional side and show that you care? Yeah. So if you want them to be professional, treat them professionally. You know, what, the difference between playing, um, on a professional team compared to an intramural team is you you're treated professionally, right? So what does that mean? That means hold them accountable. Professionals are held accountable, you know, pay them professionally. Professionals are paid professionally. Part of that is uniforms, but you know, that that's just because it's from the root of running a professional business. So if you want to make your trainers more professional, you need to be more professional. You need to run a professional business. And in that, the byproduct of that is your trainers become more professional. Awesome. How do you raise rates? This is a question I want to ask in the last episode we didn't get to. You, you mentioned that people should actually charge less in general on average from what you see in the marketplace until they fill that book of business. But when let's say they're starting they, out. Yeah. When they're starting out, let's say they have successfully filled that book of business. They kept it for a certain period of time. And, and maybe you recommend, Hey, don't just get it full. And then immediately raise your rates. Let's keep it for a certain period of time. But, um, is, is there rules of thumb for how much to, to raise and then how to deliver that message? Yeah. So remember, you know, anybody who's doing this professionally should be playing the long game. Right. So if I'm a, you know, when I started personal training, I was 21. I told you that uh, we were billing out $35 a session. I was making $15 an hour. Thought it was great. Um, so if you have a long-term approach, right, then, and you're going to raise the rates on your private, for your private training, first and foremost, start out by just raising it with new clients. In other words, that's easy. So you meet Andrew 
he comes to your gym, he signs up, you were charging 40, now you're charging 50, right? And Andrew buys private training from you at 50. Well, that's huge because that just like boosted your confidence. That, that made you feel that you're worth it. So start with new clients, build your confidence. Um, assuming you have, let's just say, you're already training 25 to 30 hours a week of private training. So you've got, you know, a good 10 to 15 of new client work that you can take on. Then if you, if you do go to your current clients, go slow and not in big jumps. In other words, you know, take the clients that were paying 40, you know, Hey, give them a heads up. And, you know, just so you know, um, right now, as I'm starting to grow my personal training business, I'm getting a little bit busier. I just increased my rates. So my new clients are paying 50. Um, and on your next package, you know, it's going to be 45. And, you know, just again, these are people that you know, that they know you, that hopefully you've done a good job building that relationship with, and they're going to understand what you're speaking, what kind of language you're speaking to them, because ultimately mm -hmm. It's basically saying your sessions are five more dollars a session, which in the big picture is not much at all. Yeah. You know, and, um, and what I mean by that is just small jumps slowly, you know, that, that could mean, you know, maybe start with a few clients that you want to, you know, do that with, um, or you could, you know, let's be honest. I know one of your questions was about like difficult clients. You might want to do that first with your difficult clients. And if they say, no, then that's not terrible because maybe you're, you know, you're okay not training them. Hmm. And so, um, but you got to think too, like the lifetime value of a client too, right? So if you got this client, you've been training for two years at $40, you know, chances are, you know, them really well, just be honest with them. Right? Hey, this is super hard for me to do. Andrew, I'm really like feeling uncomfortable, but you know, I just went up on my rates for new clients you've been with me for two years and you know, I, I, as much as I fought this for so long, I think it's now it's time for me to increase your rate too. Um, and I was going to have you start at 45 on your next package. Is that okay with you? Cause this is a, it, it's, let's be honest, it's an uncomfortable thing, right? It'd be, it'd be like mm -hmm. you going to, you know, a car wash forever and then well, a car wash might not care, but a massage therapist, you know, who yeah. two years in wants to go up, but we're talking about $5, $10. That's not a big amount. Um, so just my recommendation is the easiest is to do it with new clients and then start kind of looking at your current clients and then go up in small increments and slowly. And you shouldn't be going from like a $40 rate to like a $60 rate anyway. It should be small and steady. Yeah. And chances are too, there's going to be, you know, in that lifetime, new clients that come in, clients that move. So you might, it might be a wash in getting you to that new rate. But your clients will know what's going on. The busier you get, you know, it's the trainer that I'm like, you have no training and you're going up in your rates. Nobody, everybody knows you're so slow. Like you don't have any new clients, but when they see you going straight into other appointments, they're having to like, they want to reschedule and you're having to pull out your phone and being like, Hey, I'm only available at these times. Now they know your values higher because, yeah. and you become more valuable to them the longer you train them. That's a big thing to realize, you know, if they've trained with you for two years, you know, all their stuff, you, you, not just their physical stuff, their personal stuff. They don't want to have to start over with a new trainer. 
And so your value becomes higher. You know, I was just telling this to somebody yesterday who asked me about chiropractors. And I, you know, I, I, I recommended a chiropractor and I said, look, chiropractors to me become more valuable the more they've worked on me when I get hurt. Yeah. Because now I don't got to go through the 2017 version of this hurt and then 14 version. But there's so much value in just being able to go to this chiropractor. So if they charge me 10 or 15 more bucks because they increase the rate, I don't care. So be the kind of trainer that your client would be totally okay with you increasing at five bucks a session, 10 bucks a session. Nice. Well, the last question I want to ask you or the last topic I want to wrap up with was trying to move on from clients that might be more of those difficult clients. So how do you think about potentially firing a client or moving on from, you suggested potentially that's the first person you raise rates on and maybe make, let them make the decision. But what if they're, uh, what if they're sticking around? <laughs> what if they're not going anywhere? Yeah, no. So this is kind of what I would say, one of those um, buttons on me, because I do believe with all of my heart that there's no coincidence on how people end up walking into this gym, that it's all on purpose and for a much bigger purpose than push-ups and pull-ups. And if that person actually ends up training with me, then I believe that there's an even bigger purpose there in my life. Hmm. Um, with that being said, you know, cause I do believe we are here to serve, right? So um, if they need our help and that's the skill set we require, right? Then we should help them. Like, you know, that's, I mean, they're willing to pay you. They're, you know, they're willing to work within your schedule to come and be your student or be your athlete or whatever you want to call them. So I have kind of this belief that like, you know, like why would you fire a client like that? Now, with that being said, there are people that maybe are difficult for you to train. And I haven't had a lot of those people. If I'm completely honest, I think there's been one. And if I'm completely honest with that, it turned out to the longer I trained this person, the more I learned why they were so angry at life, <laughs> you know, and, and they ended up being, you know, one of the most precious people in my life. Right. And, um, going back to the seven habits of highly effective people seek first to understand, then be understood. I would really start looking at it differently. Why do you not want to train this person? Is it selfish? Is it, you know, is it because of you're looking at this, you know, through a selfish lens or, you know, are you trying to understand them, you know, because ultimately if you fire clients, like you're not like, this might not be for you. I hate, I hate continuing to talk people out of doing this for a living because I am a big fan of this industry. Yeah. But if you're quick to not want to take on clients or if you're quick to want to fire clients, um, then, then you really need to ask yourself, like, are you in this for the right reasons? Because, you know, another reason for that too could be maybe you're not charging them what you're worth. So maybe you've got some clients that are paying like really low rates and now you're at a higher rate. Well, mm -hmm. then obviously the answer to that is they need to pay your rate and then you might feel better about training them. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about they're paying your rate. You just feel like drained every time you train them. Well, to me, man, that's why you're in their life. 
They need you. They need your energy. They need your enthusiasm. They need your positivity. They need health and fitness to help them, you know? And so the more you understand why they are that way, you know, maybe they had some pretty tough stuff happen in their life. Maybe, you know, maybe they're coming from a really bad personal struggle in their life that's making them bitter and angry at the world and you're just part of it. Um, but I do believe that exercise makes everybody a better version of themselves. So if, if they're in my life to work out, I'm going to train them. You know, I'm, I, I've yet to fire a client um, in the 18 years of doing this. Now, um, are you referring people out on the front end though? Are there people that when you, you have a consult, you know, and you're not taking on as many clients personally, but if you look back at recent years when you were more experienced, but not, uh, still taking on a lot of clients, were you able to, in that initial conversation say, yeah, you're a great fit for personal training, just not with me. Or you would just take anybody that would come your way. Like or no, a lot I'm of take, it, if I'm, if I'm open for training, I'm taking anybody. Okay. You know, like, yeah, I mean, they're assuming we've gone through the, the, you know, the consultation, they're willing to pay the rate, right. They can afford it. This is what they want. They want life change, all those things. Yeah. I'm going to take anybody on who's, you know, if I'm, if I'm open for availability, um, you know, we're not necessarily talking about people who, you know, aren't a good fit for the program, right. Because it's out of their budget or, commitment levels, et cetera. Right. We're talking about people that are signing up personal training, mm -hmm. you know, and, and we'll put them with a new trainer or, if, you know, again, if I was taking on new clients, I would train them too. So I lied. I have one, one other question. So you mentioned this idea of this, this for you is play. And like, you know, you shared that quote from, from Naval's book, how much of that for you is, based off the work you've done, it sounds like from a spiritual side of things of knowing you're here to serve. And it sounds like you could be doing it as a coach. You could be doing it as a teacher. You could be doing it in, in a lot of different ways. And you would still feel like this is play for you. And I could see where there's a lot of trainer coaches out there that you've in this episode and previous episodes, you've kind of said like, Hey, if you feel this way about this, like maybe this isn't the right industry for you. But now I'm kind of getting the feeling that until they change that underlying mindset around things, that the next thing probably won't be that thing either. And the next thing won't be that thing either. Whereas for you, I could see you doing 10 different things and still feeling like it's play. Yeah. So great question. And, and it, it ties right into the purpose, right? Of why I do what I do. And, you know, my belief to a conviction is that we're building better people. And so um, if this was about the push-ups, the kettlebells, the snatches, it would have got old a long time ago. But what I love about what we do is the fact that somebody can get started and you don't even know what's going on in their life. And as they're going on through this journey, they are becoming a better version of themselves. I mean, I told you this, I think on our first call several months ago that you and I had, um, there's a podcast that I lead for my gym over 200 episodes and it's called the building better people podcast. And basically all I'm doing is interviewing my members and getting their fitness journey. And then I ask every single one of them the same question at the end. You know, I say, basically the title of the podcast is building better people. 
Uh, that's the core purpose here at the gym. That's why we do what we do. That's why the coaches, the trainers, myself, we work as hard as we do is because we believe that when you're walking through these doors, you're becoming a better version of yourself. How's that true for you? Right. So I make them kind of answer that question. And I would take that back and ask each of these people listening, why do you do this? Right. If you're doing this and I hate to call anyone out to perfect somebody's snatch, you're going to get really frustrated. You know, if you're doing this to make a lot of money, you're going to get really burnt out. If you're doing this, um, because you love working out, it ain't going to be a career thing for you. And so it all comes back to, you know, the reason I'm so driven. And that's why like the phone calls I told you that I've been doing with uh, John from the gym uh, that just came out and visited you. It's no different, right? I'm doing the same thing. I'm just, you know, I'm encouraging, I'm coaching, I'm um, enjoying the relationship. I'm it's so awesome, right? It, it, that's what I do in personal training. <laughs> that's what I do when I coach, right? The, the, I tell people working out is just the excuse for us to get to build better people, you know? And so the, that's why it's play. That's why it's fun. That's why it doesn't wear me out. That's why I can take anybody on because it doesn't matter how that person is walking through the doors and their behavior it's more about me showing them this thing that I really believe is going to change your life. Awesome. We'll end on that. I yeah. want to thank you again for coming on the podcast, Charlie. And uh, you said you're here to serve. And I think the, the last two episodes are definitely serving some people in a big way. So I appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me, man. Whoa.